Well, can you believe we're already at part three of our new message series? Still new, I guess, at part three. By the way, let me just say, so many of you give feedback that you're taking really good notes and you're getting a lot out of this series, and we're always good to hear that, obviously. So I want you to get your Bible ready today because we're going to look at some verses in God's Word that are going to be, I think, incredibly helpful to you and to me because I need this message as much, maybe even more than some of you need it. And I'll say more about that maybe in just a moment. But I want to begin with a verse that we have started, started at in the two previous weeks, and uh, I want you to read this verse with me out loud. And you're like, well, I'm at home. I'm sitting on the sofa. I'm, I'm in the kitchen. Well, still read it out loud. You ready? Here we go. Psalm 119, verse 68, A part. This is what it says, talking about God. You are, what's the word? Good. You are good and do only good. Let's read it one more time. You ready? You are good and do only good. God, you're a good God. You're a good God. That's what we're talking about in this series. How do we experience the goodness of God? God is a good God, and everything that he does is good. And in this series, as I've been sharing with you, we're using as our primary section of verses the most famous chapter in all of the Bible, and that is Psalm 23. And I'm going to be taking you there in just a moment. But before I do, I want to just mention a huge problem, a huge problem that a lot of us have. A lot of you that are watching right now, you've got this problem. I know that I've got this problem, and the problem is this. Here it is. We do not know how to relax. We don't. Uh, a lot of us know how to do a lot of different things, but a lot of you probably struggle as I do. I have a hard time relaxing. I just don't know how to do it. And we have a very tough time slowing down. Now, do you ever consider this reality? And that is that Americans, for the most part, the average American is sleep deprived. I was reading an article in a health and fitness magazine that I subscribe to, just reading an article in that just a few days ago. And the article, the, the basis of the article was this, uh, what are some ways, creative ways, that we can get a sufficient amount of sleep? Because as the article goes on to communicate, we know this, that uh, for the most part, we're not getting enough sleep. We're not getting enough rest. And so this article goes on to talk so many different steps, try this, and different means to be able to get a sufficient amount, an adequate amount of sleep. And uh, surprisingly, we might think, well, this is a brand new challenge because, you know, in our culture, in our time span, we're busier than we've ever been before. But do you know this is a problem that has existed for hundreds of years? You heard me right. For hundreds of years, this problem has been around. This is not a new problem. It has existed for a long, long time. And you're like, well, how do you know that? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament. This is hundreds of years ago, and I want you to see this verse. This is out of the book of Job. Look at this. They are unable to relax. Does that sound like you? You're like, wow, that's like it was written yesterday, not hundreds of years ago. They are unable to relax and enjoy anything they work for. They're unable to relax, and they have a tough time. Now, this was written not last week, not last month. This was written, as I mentioned to you, hundreds of years ago. And it's probably a pretty good description of a lot of you. 
And I know it's a great description of me. In fact, I could make it my life verse. I don't want to make it my life verse because I want to grow beyond this. But this is where a lot of us exist. This is what, uh, where a lot of us live. Now, uh, just to get us into this, I've got a few questions I want, you, I want to run by you, and I want you to think about them. You don't have to respond out loud, but just think about it and see if any of these are pertinent to you. Here's a question. Do you always seem to be in a hurry? Do you always seem to be in a hurry? All of those slow drivers, and I'm not diminishing the reality, there are slow drivers. But a lot of the time, tell the truth now, it is not that drivers are so slow. Maybe you didn't leave the house when you should have left the house, and now you're in a hurry. But it's not just on your drive to work or school. You just seemingly are always in a hurry. Here's another question. Is your to-do list unusually long? Is it like gargantuan? Is your to-do list unusually long and always finished? Do you get to the end of your day and it's like, you know what? For everything that I got accomplished, for everything that I did, there's three or four things that I never made it to. Now, how about this one? Here's another question. Do you often hear this? Not just once or twice, but you hear it from time to time. Somebody that says something like this to you, you need to slow down. You ever hear somebody say that? You need to slow down. Maybe somebody in the room where you're at right now just looked over and said, he's talking to you. You need to listen because they've been telling you, you need to slow down. How about this one? And I'm so guilty of this guilt. And here it is. How about this? Do you ever feel guilty when you relax? Do you ever like, you know, maybe you've been at it and you just relax and you're like, you just feel a little bit of guilt because you're relaxing. Now, if you answered yes to that question or any of the previous questions, then you probably need this message as much as I do. And I want to tell you, listen, I'm going to go ahead and give it up early. I need this message. So if you're wondering, I'm going to be preaching. Maybe you don't need it. Maybe you don't need this message. I think most of you do. But even if you don't, I I want you to know, I'm going to be preaching to myself a whole lot today. So you, you know, you may want to relax or take a nap if you don't need it. But I'm telling you, I'm preaching to me today. And I wanted to declare that right up front because I need to greatly improve in this area. But I've got the sneaky suspicion that I've got a lot of friends, a lot of people that are watching right now that you struggle with this as well. So I want to help us and I want to help us from God's word. Now, here's a big hurdle that you may need to get over. Here's a big hurdle, and it is this, that God not only smiles at you when you are working, but that God also smiles at you when you are resting. Now, a lot of us understand that when we work, and this is not an anti-work message because work is a good thing. God worked six days. We'll get into that. Work is a good thing. The Bible encourages us to be workers, to be good workers, to be faithful workers. So this is not an anti-work message. In fact, it goes to the opposite end of the spectrum. And those who just a lot of times need balance in the work-rest relationship. So a lot of times we feel this. Well, God smiles at me when I'm working, but does God smile at me when I'm relaxing? Is God smiling at me when I'm sleeping? You know, last week, we had the opportunity, it's actually been several days ago now, but we had the opportunity, 
Uh, our little granddaughters, Kenley and Landry, uh, six and four, they were down for the week. And it was just, first of all, it was wonderful having them there. But every morning before I would leave uh, to go to the church office, I would walk in. I wanted to be quiet because they were still sleeping. And I'd open the door and I'd look at them if I had time because like a lot of you, I'm always seemingly in too much of a hurry. But I'd just walk over to where they were, maybe kiss them on the forehead and just stand there and look at them for a few moments before I left. And it would just make me smile. The reason I bring that up is a lot of times we think that when we're working, when we're being diligent, when we're busy at it, that God is smiling. But just as I looked upon my granddaughters as they were sleeping and it brought a big smile to my face, I want you to know that when we're resting or when we're sleeping, that God does that with us because he encourages us to do so. So I want you to go with me. And I want you to check out, I told you I was going to give you a lot of verses, and we're going to come back to this thought a little later. But I want you to write down this reference in your notes. Exodus 31, 17, look at this verse with me. This day will always serve as a reminder. Now, this is God speaking, both to me, me being God, and to the Israelites, that I made the heavens and the earth in six days. God was busy at work for six days. Then he says, then on the seventh day, Look at these four words right here, these highlighted words. On the seventh day, six days of work, seventh day, I rested and relaxed. I rested and relaxed. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want to ask you before we get into that, why did God rest? Why on the seventh day did God relax? Was it it because God was tired? Not at all. God was not tired on the seventh day. God was not exhausted. Are you like, yeah, he had been working so hard with all of creation for six days. He was burned out and he needed rest on the seventh. God does not get tired. You know, I'm saying that, you know, we have TGIF and you know what that represents. And a lot of you may be thinking, well, maybe, maybe this way, this was God's way of saying T-M-I-S. Thank me, it's Sunday. Thank me, it's Sunday, I finally get a day of rest. No, that's not the reason. Because God never gets tired. God never is exhausted. God never gets burned out. God is never stressed out. What he did is he gave an example for you, an example for me, to help us to find the balance. And this is really important. And it's what we're going to talk about, to help us find the balance between work and rest between the grind of everyday life and relaxation. So we're going to dig into that today. I hope you got your notepad ready, your tablet ready, your phone, whatever. You're going to take some notes. Get these points down and get these scriptures down, and we're going to get to that. But I want us to go back to our primary text one more time as we get ready to dive in today. Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's what we're keeping in the forefront of our thinking during this series. I shall not be in want. And we've talked about that in previous weeks. Now look at this next portion because it's what we're going to focus our attention on today. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Look at these two phrases. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And you're like... Well, you know, why would God use that picture? Why would God use that image, that kind of language? And I want you to just be clear on this before we dive in. And that is, when you see those phrases, it is a picture. It is a picture. It is an image that God is using of rest and refreshment. 
Let me say that again. It is a picture that God is painting. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Can I ask you a question? Has God ever made you lie down because you wouldn't slow down? Has God ever done that? Made you lie down because you wouldn't slow down? He knew you well enough to know that he had to put you flat on your back or else you wouldn't look up. He he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. This, my friend, is a picture that God wants all of us to get, and it is a picture of rest and refreshment. See, our God is a good God. Our God is a good shepherd, and a good shepherd wants his sheep, that's you and me, to be healthy in life. He wants us to be healthy spiritually. He wants us to be healthy physically. Our good shepherd, our good God wants us to be healthy emotionally and mentally. And our good shepherd, and again, it's this picture of rest and relaxation. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a few moments, and I'm going to share with you four primary reasons why people... uh, Overwork, four reasons why people uh, have a tendency to overwork and fail to relax, to fail to get enough rest. So four primary reasons why people overwork, and then I'm going to uh, mention these to you, why, why, why we fail to get enough rest. Are you ready? All right? You ready? Number one, here we go. It's because we base our worth on our work. Why do we often uh, overwork? Why do we often fail to get enough rest or relaxation? Number one, and I'll say it again, we base our worth on our work. You see, sometimes, friends, it's just way too easy to confuse our net worth with our self-worth. Our net worth with our self-worth. We think that it is oftentimes, if we're not careful, we, we begin to develop this notion, and it's a wrong premise, by the way, but this notion that it's my valuables that actually make me have value. See, particularly in our culture, you know what we struggle with? Our our identity revolves around our job. Somebody comes up and they want to know more about us, and so they start asking maybe, hey, I'd like to know about you over the course of a conversation. You're getting to know somebody that they really don't know you. They don't really know your story. They don't know your history. And a lot of times when we're trying to tell people who we are, you know what we actually end up doing? We, We tell them, what we do, because our identity is so uh, wrapped up in what we do rather than who we are as a person, and that's true and pretty pervasive throughout our culture. So uh, if I'm successful, a lot of time the notion of thinking is, if I'm successful, then I must be really significant. And if not, oh well. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to overwork. I'm going to abuse, uh, you know, even if it means I abuse my body, my mind, my, my emotions, because I am out to prove my worth. I've got to prove my worth. I've got to prove my value. I've got to prove my significance. I've got to prove it. And maybe you're still trying. You may be grown and well into your work years and you're still trying to prove that to somebody. You're still trying to prove that you're valuable. You're still trying to prove that you're significant and you're doing it many times to the peril of your own body or mind or emotions. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 15. I I want you to look at this. This is how it reads in this translation, all right? Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with his work. Ecclesiastes 10, 15. So why do we often overwork? Why do we often fail to get enough rest? Number one, 
because a lot of times we base our worth on our work. Number two, be sure you get this. Here's the second reason. I always have to have more. So I keep working and working and working because what I have is not enough. I've got to have more. Whatever I have is not enough. I need more stuff. And, you know, in order, then we get the stuff. And then guess what we have to do? We have to prop up and perpetuate the stuff that we have. So what I have is not enough. Whatever I have is not enough. I need more. So I go out and get more. And maybe you say, well, you know, I go out and I charge more. And so now, you know, I've got what I wanted. But now here's the payment book that comes along with it. And so what do we have to do? We want more. We get more. And then we got to work harder and harder to just keep substantiating what we have. And, and, and friends, I'm just telling you, over time, this can become a very vicious cycle. And I want to just ask you, why is contentment such a bad word in our culture? Why is contentment? You know, I was talking with a friend the other day, and we were actually going out to uh, play around the golf, and we were talking about this, and it's like, uh, we're similar to the same age, not the same age, and we just, you know, talked about that, you know, at this time in our lives, it was true for him and true for me, it's just like, you know what, contentment has become a great thing, you know, you don't have to feel like you've got to have more and more, just finding contentment, it's a powerful thing, and by the way, let me just say this, contentment is not laziness, and contentment is not idleness, and it's not apathy, contentment is a good thing, it's a good thing, Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, I want you to look at these two verses with me, look at what the wisdom writer said, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. A lot of us, we're not smart enough to figure out. We know how to get going, but we don't know how to quit. And and then the proverb uh, writer says, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. How many of you believe that? Have you looked at your quarterly statement from January to March? Have you done that? If you haven't, don't. Uh, wealth disappears for it will, look at this, sprout wings and fly away like an evil eagle. Have, have you ever felt that way? Like it just, I had it and then it just flew away like an eagle. But here's what we do. We always have to have more. And so we overwork and we don't get enough rest because what I have is not enough. All right. Enough said about that. Number three, number three. Here's another reason why we overwork and fail to get enough rest. Here it is. Number three, I want to be like other people. I want to be like other people. You know what the Bible calls this? The Bible calls this envy. Envy. I've got to be like other people. I've got to have what they have. That car they have, I want to have that car. That house they have, I want to have a house just as good as that. That that boat, that vacation home, those toys, I've got to have what they have. And and we sort of inwardly envy what they have. And this happens to all of us. It happens to me any time I see like a classic old school Pontiac Firebird. I'm just like... I'm just eating up with envy. It just rises up. Oh, man, especially one that has just really been redone and looks extra sharp. I'm like, look at that old school Pontiac Firebird from years. And I just feel that envy creeping up in my heart. And, you know, a lot of times we just, we're just like, I want to have what they have. And if I, you know, like I was mentioning it a moment ago, if I can't uh, cash flow it, well, then I'll finance it. I'll borrow the money and I'll try to make that a, a reality. And that's, again, it's just a, Um, a vicious cycle that we can get caught up in. Here's another verse, Ecclesiastes. Look at this verse. I have also learned why people work so hard to succeed. And again, 
wisdom writer, it is because they envy the things their neighbors have. And they envy, and it drives them to work again and again, to overwork. Nothing wrong with work. Work is a good thing. I love work. I love what I do. I love to work hard. <laughs> Probably too much. But the fact of the matter is we can, we can lose that balance that God wants us to have. All right, let me move on. Number four. Here's another reason why we overwork and fail to relax. Number four, the fear that I will not have enough. The fear that I will not have enough. Do you ever struggle with this? I occasionally do. I'm, it's not going to be enough. And our mind can, if we're not careful, drift to worst-case scenarios. And we entertain all of the what-ifs. Well, what if this happens? And if this happens, I'm not going to have enough. And if this happens, I'm not going to have enough. If this happens in the economy, if this happens in the market, if this happens in life, if this happens in our nation, then I'm not going to have enough. And then if our minds, if we're thinking about those what-if scenarios long enough, our minds move in that direction and then the remedy in our thinking becomes this. Then I've got to work like crazy to make sure that that is not going to happen. And the net result of that is our work now is born out of fear and insecurity. Fear and insecurity that we're not going to have enough. And please hear this. Because this can so quickly become a trap. I push myself. You push yourself. We push ourselves so hard mentally and physically that if we're not careful, and God never wants this to happen, but it can happen, and that is I am so drained physically, I'm so drained mentally, I'm so drained emotionally because I'm overworking that if I'm not careful, I can neglect my soul. I'll neglect my spiritual life. Back to Ecclesiastes. Look at what the writer says. We work to feed our appetites, and we have all kind of appetites that want to be fed. Meanwhile, look at this. It's so important. Meanwhile, our souls go hungry. So we're like working, 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 going, 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 in a hurry, in a hurry, to-do list, never getting accomplished. For everything that we do, there's a lot more to be done. And we work and we work and we work and to the neglect of our own soul. And so physically we're spent, emotionally we're spent, mentally we're spent, and we think that that will not have an effect upon our lives spiritually. And that's just not accurate. We begin to neglect our own soul. And if you and I live with fear and insecurity then it becomes actually a giant obstacle to the relaxation and the rest that God actually wants us to enjoy. Let me show you a verse on this one. Psalm 127 in verse 2. It's useless to rise early and to go to bed late. No problem rising early. I'm an early riser, but just rise early and just to bed late. No balance. And work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know, the psalmist says, that God enjoys giving rest to those he loves. God enjoys giving rest to those he loves. Now, here's what I want to do. You have the four things that I've just mentioned to you. Now I want to flip this over, and I want to give you the antidote to each of the four that we've just mentioned. What are the four things that causes us, and there's others, but these are primary. What are the four things that causes us to overwork and fail to get enough rest and relaxation, fail to have balance between work and the grind of life? So I've given you those, and now I'm going to give you for each one the antidote to that, and I want you to get these down. How can you and I experience less stress, because all of us need that? How can you and I experience more balance between work and rest, between the grind and relaxation? How do we do that? And how do we have a more blessed and restful life where we actually become more productive? I read a book recently, by the way. I'll just toss it out for those of you that may be interested in reading it. 
Uh, Michael Hyatt has written a fabulous book called Free to Focus, and he talks about it. A very busy guy with a lot of responsibilities, uh, and yet he's, he's got some helpful instruction how that you and I can find balance so that we're bringing, when we're at work, we're bringing our best self to our work, and we're focused, and we're productive. So we're flipping this over, and here's what we're going to respond to now. How can you and I finally relax in God's goodness? Remember what we looked at earlier from the psalm? God is a good God, and everything that he does is good. So how do we relax in the goodness of God? So obviously there's four things because everyone is the answer to the first four that we mentioned. Number one, be sure you get it. This is the antidote to number one on the other side of the equation. Number one, I need to always remember my value to God. I need to always remember my value to God. How much do you matter to God? How much do you, you, you matter to God? What is the value that God has placed upon you? I'll tell you, you matter this much. You matter so much that God created you. God himself. Your life is not an accident. Your birth was not an accident. God created you, and he created you intentionally and on purpose. God loved you enough, and God values enough that he created you. Here's how much that God values you. Not only did God create you, but he sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. How, how valuable does, does that make you? That, that God would say, hey, I love you enough to create you, but I also love you enough. You're valuable enough to me that I'm going to send my son from heaven into this world, this dark, broken, depraved world, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. That's how valuable you are to God. You're valuable, so valuable to God that God created you, that Jesus died on the cross for you, and now as a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives and abides within you. It's what the Holy Spirit does. Then that's how valuable that you are to God. You are that valuable to God. You really need to catch this. I hope you will. It is not what you do that causes you to become valuable. It's not what you do. It's who you are. It's not your job. It's not your profession. Thank God for those things. It's not your work. It's not your business. Thank God for those things. But those are the, not the things that determine your value. What determines your value? What is God's appraisal of you? Here's God's appraisal of you. It's based on this. You are his creation and you're his child. Let me say that again. You are his creation and you're his child. My kids matter to me a whole lot. And you matter even more to God the Father. He values you. Look at this verse right here, James 1.18. God decided to give us life through the word of truth so that we might be, look at this phrase, the most important of all the things he has made. Do you know that about yourself, that you're the most important thing that God has made? When God created human beings, God created us. That's how valuable we are. Jesus died for us. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. Secondly, here's the antidote to the second on the other side of that equation. Secondly, learn to enjoy what you already have. If you want to learn to rest, find balance, reduce stress in your life, Start learning to enjoy what you already have. Well, Pastor Jeff, it's not my dream house. Yeah, I, I understand that. But it's the place that God has provided. Enjoy. Well, it's not my dream car. I haven't got my dream car yet. Well, enjoy the car that you have. Learn to appreciate the car that you have. Well, it's my, not my dream TV. I, I have my eye on this big TV. I'll never forget when our oldest son, Brent, when I walked into his house, he'd been married a short while, and I looked on his wall, and he had a TV, a television set, 
uh, anchored to his wall that was much bigger than the one that I had at my house. And I'm like, how can that happen? How can my son have a bigger TV than his dad? It just didn't seem right. It just didn't seem fair. So it may not be your dream house, your dream car, your dream television, but learn to appreciate it because this is what I want you to get. You know this, but you just need to be reminded of it. The most important things in your life are not things. The most important things in your life are not things. Look at this verse. Back to Ecclesiastes, this time 3 and verse 13. All of us should eat and drink and enjoy what we have. Enjoy what we have worked for. It is God's gift. It may not be your dream house, your dream car, your dream TV, your dream vacation, but learn to appreciate what you have. It's a gift from God. And I want to just say this before we move on. As a pastor, I've been around numerous people who were near or at the end of their life. And you know what I've noticed about all of them? None of them ever say, you know what? I'm near the end of my life now and I need more stuff. Just bring me my stuff. Bring me my awards. Bring them here. Bring them right now. Bring me my trophies. Bring them. Hey, cash out my accounts and just come and just sort of stack the money on the bed around me. I've never in all the times that I've been around people near the end of their life, I've never heard one of them say, well, you know, my car, just bring it outside of the window here because, you know, in my dying moments, I want to look out at the window at my car. They never say that. That's, that's, that's not on their mind. You know what they reach for? It's not another day at the office. It's not, it's not more money. It's not trophies. It's not awards. You know what they reach out for? They reach out for their family and friends. Because the most important things in life are not things. Learn to enjoy what you already have. Thirdly, limit my work to six days a week. That's right. And I want to just say, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how successful, how energetic, how driven you are. Everybody needs a day of rest every week. Let me just say, that's God's idea. Because some of you may be thinking, well, you know, Jeff, you're a pastor and you don't get it. You know, out here in the business world and trying to make a profit and run this and do this. You don't get it. You're, You're a preacher. Listen, this is not my idea. This is actually God's idea. And I don't think you or I in any way are as wise as God is. And God says, six days. But then you take a day and you rest. Look at these uh, couple of verses here. Exodus 23, work the first six days of the week, but rest and relax on the seventh day. Look at this next verse. Look at this one. You have six days, it essentially says the same thing. You have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest. Look at this now dedicated to me. You dedicate that day to me. How important is this to God that you and I would have one day of rest every week? How important is that to God? It's important enough that it made the list, the big 10, the big 10 commandments. You need a Sabbath. I need a Sabbath. Every day we need a day of rest. And then fourthly and finally, we need to give our restlessness over to God and in place of that, receive his peace. Let me say that again. We give God our restlessness, our stress, our angst, and in his place, we receive God's peace. Can I just ask you as we get ready to close, are you tired? And some of you are like, Pastor Jeff, if you only knew, if you only knew, and I was already, and now with you know, the coronavirus and you know, all the chaos of that, just trying to manage life. You, 
If I was tired before, I'm even more tired now. Are you you stressed? And I know a lot of you are. I know a lot of you just feel burned out. You're like, you know, what do I do with all of this? How do I find the balance? You know, I know how to work. And a lot of us like that. I told you I was going to be preaching to myself today. I know how to work. I know how to work. But it's harder for me to relax. But this is God's idea. We give God our restlessness. We give God our stress. See, what do we do in moments like that? We go back to God's word. And God, for you and for me, he's got a great plan. I want you to see it right up here on the screen. He says it. Are you tired? This is Jesus speaking. Are you worn worn out? Are you burned out? Jesus said, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Look at this phrase. I love this phrase in the message translation. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. Look at this next part. I won't lay anything heavy uh, or ill-fitting on you. You're like, I'm already weighted down. I'm already stressed out. Jesus says, I'm not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn. I love this. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. And all of us need that. What a great exchange. His peace. We say, Lord, I'm bringing you my stress. He says, good, I want you to. I didn't design you to carry it anyhow. God, here's my stress. And God said, I'll take it. And I'm going to give you my peace. We say, well, God, here's my, here's my fatigue. And he says, all right, I'll take it. And I'm going to give you my freedom. We say, God, I'm just so burned out. I'm tired. I'm worn out. It's hard to put one foot in front of the other. God said, you're burned out. And we're like, yeah, we really are. He says, well, give that to me. And in its place, I want to bring you my blessings. Work is a good thing. And most of us don't have a problem with that. It's the other part, the balance that God wants us to have. And it's important enough that he put it for us in his word. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray for a lot of people that they're wired up just like me. It's hard for them to relax. It's hard for them to find balance. And maybe they're even uh, like I struggle with. When I go into like relaxation mode, if I'm not careful, I can feel guilty because there's so many other things that I need to be doing. God, help us to learn from you. You didn't rest on the seventh day because you were tired or stressed out or burned out. You did it as an example for us. And I just pray that that we would find rest and that we would not be so busy and so spent that we've just so worn ourselves out physically and mentally and emotionally that we begin to damage our own soul. We want to be sure that our spiritual life is blessed and thriving and energized by your spirit. So I pray that that would be so for every person listening today and watching today. And I pray that if there be any person that has not yet received you into their life, that even now they'll say, Jesus, I'm coming and I'm bringing you all my stress, all my problems. I'm bringing you all my sin. And I'm saying, I'm sorry. I repent of it. Forgive me. Come into my life. I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. I want to walk with you. I want to do life your way and not my way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And you said with me, amen. I love everybody. God bless you. I'll see you next week.